Some of you I am literally talking right to. Some of you, you know someone like I'm talking about. And some of you, maybe you do, but you don't know that you know them. So give me a few minutes and hear me out. I want to ask you first to consider, think just really quickly in your head, don't say it out loud, how would you introduce yourself? If we're in a room together and I say, okay, everybody go around the room, introduce yourself, you'd probably start with your first and last name, maybe where you're from, then some other thing, something. But you'd start with your name and where you're from, probably, most of us. What happens when your name and where you're from are so repugnant so horrible that you can't bear to share that piece of your identity because you expect that no one could love you, care about you, even want to get to know you for you because of your name or where you're from. There's maybe a couple of you in this room who have a similar thought or experience, but is your name or where you're from tied to a monster, a literal monster? If you don't know me, I am a history and cultural perspective professor, and I take special interest in the quote-unquote others. I like learning about the other people that aren't in the textbooks. I want to know about the family members or the other people that are on the periphery of those big notable names from history. I like to know how did this person's action that you're reading about in your history book, how did that affect all the people behind them? Today, I'm going to tell you a story about one of those others. As I talk about this other, you should know this is one of those people that their name is so horrifying, their home is so upsetting that they will change their name and they will run halfway around the world to escape it. The identity that they have been given is one that they cannot express, they can't share. In case you're wondering who I'm talking about, let's give you some hints first. This is her as a little girl. She's cute, nondescript, just a little girl. This is her with her brother. Probably don't quite know who she is yet. This is her as an adult. Still probably don't know. Here's some of her names. Svetlana, Alleluia, or her Americanized name, she'll change it to Lana Peters. Still don't know her? Maybe you know this. Svetlana is the daughter of one of the most horrific names in history. She is the daughter of a monster. And she happens to be the daughter of a monster that you likely know the name of. You maybe don't know him. Maybe you don't know a lot about Joseph Stalin. So I'll just give you a highlight reel real quick. Which, by the way, narrowing down the crimes of this guy is pretty, it's pretty hard. But I'll give it a shot. He 
He's responsible for imprisoning more than three and a half million people just because for fear-mongering, population control, or power trip. Three and a half million. He's responsible for rounding up people who lived on the periphery of this gigantic country who he considered they could possibly be enemies of me, of communism, of the state. So I'm just going to go ahead and have them arrested and killed just in case. Those people are the poorest peasants who happened to grow the food, which leads me to his third crime. He literally started a famine because of this. The famine that spread throughout the Soviet Union as a result of him imprisoning all of these peasants, all of these farmers, killed almost 15 million people. I got news for you. I don't think any of us in this room know someone responsible for starting a famine. Monster. He orchestrated the Great Purge. And again, literally, these are his personal enemies. Today, he may like you. Tomorrow, he decides, I don't like the way you looked at me. I'm going to have you imprisoned and maybe killed just because he could. The Great Purge. They named this historical event based on his whims. And the fifth crime, which again, this is not an all-inclusive list, gives you a sense of the dementia this man had. If you fought in the Second World War for the Soviet Union, if you were loyal enough to fight in this war, and you had the unlucky, unfortunate chance of being captured by the enemy, don't come home. Stalin went on record and said, I don't believe in POWs, I just believe in traitors. If you fought for him or the Soviet Union, if you try to come home after the war, after being captured as a POW, he'll have you arrested. You'll either spend the rest of your life in prison or he'll just kill you. A monster. This is her father, her daddy. This is the man that actually through all of these horrible things that he does to everyone else, he adores Fetlana. She is the apple of his eye. When she walks into a room, he lights up. This monster lights up. There are uh, stories where other dignitaries from other countries, they saw this happen and they were truly shocked. I mean, this is a guy nobody messes with. And then they see his daughter come in the room and there's this twinkle in his eye that they're like, oh, he is human. We did not know. This is her father. Now, Svetlana, kids are very intuitive, right? They know. She knew that not everyone liked her dad. Matter of fact, he hated her brother and mistreated him. So she saw that, but she was the charmed princess, so it was fine. When she's six years old, her mother died under mysterious circumstances, She was told, uh, your mom passed away, given some innocuous medical reason for it. But as you might imagine, at six years old, losing your mother is heartbreaking in and of itself. 
But what happens when 10 years later you find out some version of the truth? And I'm going to say it like that because there's two stories, prevailing stories. The first is that she took her own life because she could not imagine a future in this life stuck with this monster, a.k.a. her husband, Stalin. Or the other possibility is that he either killed her or had her killed. So this is what's weighing on her 10 years later when she finds this out. And it breaks Svetlana. Finding that out, she knew that people were fearful of her father. She had seen it, but, well, you know, he likes me, so I'm okay. But at that point, it all just, kabam. (laughs) Her worldview is shattered. And with that, as a typical defiant 16-year-old, she becomes disrespectful, distant, and Stalin shows his true colors. And now Svetlana has seen this monster that we all know from history books. And she will spend the next seven decades of her life trying to escape that. Escape him escape that legacy, escape her name, so much so that she will defect to the United States. Now, I recognize that many of you don't care about communist history, but this is a big, big deal. This is the carnal sin. She has left the Soviet Union. She has renounced everything that her husband, her father stood for. She leaves and then changes her name. And, and y'all, I got to tell you, this is a big, big no-no. When she does that, she is representing a person who's running from their legacy, from their identity. She cannot imagine a world where someone would know her real name and go, oh, okay, so what do you want to eat for dinner? She can't imagine that conversation. In her mind, she is this monster's daughter. And I don't blame her, right? She is the daughter of probably one of the most evil men in history, and everyone knows his name. What can you and I learn from Svetlana? She's fascinating to me. Her story is fascinating to me, but... What can we, in 2022, learn from her? I'd like to suggest that Svetlana's life was probably less than. And it maybe wasn't all because of her father. It was because she somehow felt trapped by the identity that she thought he gave her. She spent her whole life letting someone else identify her. I'd like to suggest that our identity does not have to be tied to our parents. Some of you have monsters at home. Some of you have siblings who have messed up and everybody knows that sibling. Some of you have mistakes in your recent past that you think define you, but you don't want it to define you. I'm here to insist that that is a lie. Your siblings, your parents, your ancestors, even that most recent mistake 
do not define you. You define you. I'll take it a step further. You're going to hear a lot about this God over the course of this semester and beyond. God can recreate your identity. He can give you a better identity. He can shine a light on those monsters that are in your emotional closet that you hope no one knows about, that no one's going to find out and then tie you to the Stalins in your emotional closet. He can do away with that. He can define our identity. No matter how complicated your journey has been to this point, he can change that. He can work in our lives. He can change our identity. He can change our story. Please don't believe the lie that society is telling us that we are only as good as our worst mistake or we're only as good as the weakest link in our family tree. That is a lie. And Svetlana lived her entire life running from it. Please don't be Svetlana. She was a gifted writer. She was an interesting person. But that's all marred by who she thought her father defined her to be. It does not have to be that way for you and me. I'm asking you, encouraging you to take the time to open your heart and your mind to the identity from God that can destroy even the worst monsters in that emotional closet, who can highlight the amazing person that you can and really are. Thanks. Thanks.